Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Marketing the Invisible. I'm Tom Poland, joined today by Jeremy Hurowitz. Jeremy, very warm welcome from down under, sir. Where are you hanging out? I'm in Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York, home of the who. What's the team you're supporting there? <laughs> the home of the who and what team am I supporting? The baseball, the baseball team that you support is? <laughs> I'm a big Yankees fan, New York Yankees. Yankees. Okay, cool. Go the Yankees. How about them Yankees? (laughs) Absolutely. All right. So folks, off baseball, which is one of Jeremy's passions, on to business. Jeremy's Sell Like a Spy program is is very, very clever, by the way, Jeremy. The whole the whole positioning of that. It's it's unique and it's and it's clever and it's insightful. Folks, we're gonna learn more about it in a moment. Help salespeople connect more deeply and overcome challenges by leveraging spy tradecraft a former journalist and consultant jeremy is the founder of challenger hill consulting and the creator of sell like a spy which is the title of our little interview here jeremy thank you for being here our seven minutes is going to start now sir question number one who is your ideal client Well, I think the ideal client would be a B2B company with a revenue recurring retainer based sales model with, you know, fairly big ticket, five, six, seven figure sales models. That's a lot of the sales that I've done. It means that a sales organization should be investing heavily in relationship development, both in the early stages of recruiting the client and then retaining the client. There's a saying that a good spy re-recruits their agent at every meeting. So it's not just about closing that initial deal, but I, I have built sell like a spy for more transactional, quicker sales, whether it's for product or for smaller um, revenue sales. One of the spies that I worked with to develop this, we talked about this and she talked about how if she had only an hour with an Iranian scientist in a hotel in Vienna, she would leverage the same skills and tradecraft to connect with that person even if she had months to do it. So it's a question of just making it more abbreviated, but specifically to circle back to your initial question, it's about, you know, B2B, bigger ticket sales organizations are probably the most ideal client. Perfect. Thank you for that. Six minutes left. What would you say, how would you define the problem you solve for those organizations? Well, I, I I think I help solve the problem of greater connectivity with client bases. So, you know, having come from the business development world, you know, with Levin with a healthy dose of intelligence, having worked in corporate security consulting, I've done many sales trainings and I frankly found them to be not that effective. I think right. a lot of the people that do the trainings are you know, not necessarily socially gifted people who have sold a lot themselves in my experience. And I think that you don't have to be the most, you know, loquacious person to be a great salesperson. But I think that the market for sales training is overly data driven. And I'm trying to solve for creating a little bit more of emotional connectivity to know clients and overcome some of the problems that result in human to human contact. Very interesting. Humans buy, right? Organizations don't actually buy. Humans, individuals buy, and they, buy you know, we are they we buy. are often emotionally driven and so on. So what would you say are some of the typical symptoms? This is question three that your ideal clients are experiencing before they engage with you. We've got over four and a half minutes left. What's going on in the organization that will give them a heads up that they, they should really find out more about what you do? Well, either you're an inexperienced salesperson and you've been given kind of a roadmap about how to sell, or you're an experienced salesperson who's kind of had the same bag of tricks for a while. But I think that same data-driven approach to sales has kind of corrupted the way we might approach things a little bit. And there mm-hmm. are there are tools in the toolkit of emotional intelligence and connecting with people that I help 
people discover inside themselves that are very innate that they can bring out, uh, such as humanizing yourself. I spent a lot of time on that and people really connect to that idea. So I, I think that uh, people also wind up just kind of doing the same behaviors, but doing it more intensely, or they get a little bit upset or they point figures. And I, I am helping people kind of, you know, solve these problems and get around some of these issues with new tools to put in their toolkit. So if, if you've got, say, a sales director in an organization and it's big ticket items, like you said, they're expensive, how would that person know they need to talk to you? What's going on with their sales team? Are they just sales ratios or conversion ratios dropping? Salespeople saying they don't have connections. What's going on there, do you think? Well, I mean, it, it varies organization to organization, but I think that that people wind up, again, pursuing their narrow lane about how they sell. And, you know, they okay. might think this person doesn't want to be sold to and they're just a jerk or something like that. Whereas, right. you know, I talk a lot about that. And there's a quote from Abraham Lincoln, I don't like that person. I must get to know him better. So you start with that as a challenge and you think about right. how spies leverage radical empathy to connect with criminals, terrorists, you know, diplomats from some terrible places. They overcome significant challenges to make their yeah. very particular sale. So there's yeah. no reason that you selling a software or something can't overcome a challenge as well. So I think that helps so, inspire. So, so, so that might lead us nicely to question four, three minutes left. Common mistakes that individuals, organizations make when trying to solve this problem. I guess one of them is is blaming the prospect. What, what, else, yeah. what else have you got that people try that just flat out isn't going to work? Yeah, I mean, you know, some of the things that I've talked about before, again, rote behaviors that they're taught to do, you know, call three times and then give up or send the following email with the following language, you know, and I teach people, look, that might work. And that's a great template. And I know you have to hit 100 emails or whatever, but take a look at their LinkedIn, you know, profile and see if they're a University of Kentucky basketball fan or something and see if you can, you know, find something that you can bring into an email or a cold outreach call that can create a little right. bit more of a personal connectivity. So so oh, I'm trying to disrupt that space a little bit yep. and, and yep. offer some different thoughts. And that goes back to that empathy you're talking about with the with the spy and the, the hotel or, or the terrorist or whatever. It's fascinating. Yeah, empathy is the WD-40 of communications. <laughs> it really lubricates it very well. So question five, valuable for reaction, like a top tip. One, one, one minute, 45 left. What's one, one quick tip you could give folks? Yeah, just a quick one to kind of, you know, tip of the iceberg, but mirroring is taught in sales context. That's the physical replication of somebody's behavior. And it subconsciously, it's been shown in behavioral science that it will shortcut the rapport building cycle and create a little bit more connectivity. So if your client's leaning forward, elbows on the table, you want to mirror that. And so I talk about that, but I talk about what I call the varsity level mirroring, verbal mirroring, which I also have a partner from the FBI, a former chief hostage negotiator. And we talk extensively about how FBI hostage negotiators leverage verbal mirroring to connect with people when they can't be face-to-face -face with them, but you can be face-to-face -face in the sales context, but leveraging some of the same words. And I have some tricks that I teach about, you know, really doing that well is something to really think about to connect with people. So start with basic physical mirroring and then talk with me about verbal mirroring to take that to the next level. So the, the sorts of phrases or words that they use on a regular basis, you drop them into your responses and questions and that would be- Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away, but it's about particularly- sure looking for colloquialisms and pet words, right? Perfect. Thank you for that. Valuable free resource, folks. Go to selllikeaspy.net. You're going to find a fascinating video there on Jeremy. You can connect with him on LinkedIn as well. Selllikeaspy.net. 20 seconds left, Jeremy. What's the one question I should have asked you but didn't? 
sales quotas and how everybody is just chasing a sales quota. It could be a bad market. It could be a tough time for the product or service you're selling. You could be the greatest salesperson in the world and not you know, attain your quota. So maybe you could ask me why sales has such a high turnover and I'd start pointing to that. Jeremy, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been interesting. Thank you. Thanks for checking out our Marketing the Invisible podcast. If you like what we're doing here, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. It's very much appreciated. And if you want to generate five fresh leads in just five hours, then check out www.5hourchallenge.com.